What's up, everybody? Thank you for tuning in to another episode of The Recap. My name is Porter Holt, and today I'm bringing you an update on the biggest news across the sporting world right now, that being the MLB season restart. Just recently, we found out that we are officially going to have an MLB season in 2020, and we are just weeks away from the start of that season. So there's a lot to unpack here, from players deciding to opt out, to the new rules that Major League Baseball is planning to implement, to the effect that all of that and more is going to take on the MLB, not just this season, but also going forward into the future of baseball. Lots to unpack here, and it's all coming up right here, right now, on The Recap. So the most obvious place to start here is, of course, the most simple part of this season plan, and that is when we're actually going to have baseball again. And as of now, it is looking like the start date that the MLB is pushing for is July 23rd to 24th. Most teams are likely going to play the 23rd, with a few that didn't playing on the 24th. That could change a little bit as far as the actual official schedule goes when that is out. But that is at least the plan for right now, which means, yeah, it's not even going to be a full three weeks until we have baseball. Today's the fourth, obviously, just 19 days until baseball will be back. Less than three weeks. Extremely exciting and kind of out of nowhere because, of course, the MLB and the Players Association were having so much trouble negotiating and it looked like we weren't going to have a season at all. Obviously, I did a whole episode about the fact that it looked like baseball wasn't going to happen in 2020. But here we are, all of a sudden, the MLB and the players moving it along in a really fast-paced sort of way at this point after that total standstill. It's good to see. It's just a little bit surprising. Right now, players are already in camps. We have basically inner squad games, and that's it um, as far as... Training goes this year, usually in spring training, at the end of spring training, you're playing actual games against other squads. This year, not really the case. It's mostly just within singular teams to try to avoid traveling and interacting with other players. And right now, camps are just at home stadiums. Again, normally that would not be the case. You have Arizona and you have Florida. You have the Grapefruit League and the Cactus League. Well, not this year, just because the idea of bringing players together in that way, it just was not going to work. So the MLB says, all right, let's just do spring training 2.0. That's basically what it is at home stadiums. And that is what's happening right now. So it's just inner squad games. It could turn into some intra squad games as far as teams that are close together. But that would be happening at the very end of spring training, the last couple of days and it would be up to the teams it's not going to be something that's required or mandated by the MLB at least as of right now and I keep saying as of right now that's because a lot of this really could change things are moving very fast and it's not just with the MLB's plan it's still with COVID-19 we still don't know where we are in this country as far as case counts and what we're doing to protect against COVID, and especially you think about a virus like this, we still don't know if it could mutate further. So the idea is this is a plan, but big stress on the fact that it's a plan. It is very flexible, subject to change, 
So anything that I'm saying right now could absolutely change. This is just what the MLB and the players are shooting for as of right now. I can say with 100% certainty, though, that players are indeed in camps as of right as I speak right now on the 4th of July, and they are going to be in camps, hopefully, up until the 22nd, right before we start actual in-season play the 23rd. Now, there's obviously a lot of fallout from COVID-19. I talked about in detail in a couple episodes, actually, about what the MLB was looking at as far as shortening the season. And what's been settled on is a 60-game season. That, that's been the thought for a while at the number of games. And now we know for sure that is the goal here, is to play a 60-game regular season. As of now, the MLB is not looking at expanded playoffs. It's looking like it's going to be the same 10-team format, five teams aside. And that will likely hold all the way through unless we hit another major, major obstacle that would cause some things to get scrambled up and scrambled around a little bit more. So it's going to be a 60-game season. And again, starting July 23rd, that is the magic date for right now. Now, not every player is going to be there. We've already had a few bigger names opt out of the season. We just had one about an hour ago. I got the alert that David Price of the LA Dodgers, he is not going to be playing this year due to pandemic concerns. And that's been the case for a few other players. Most notably, Ryan Zimmerman of the Washington Nationals. His teammate, Joe Ross, has also said he will not be participating this season. Ian Desmond, who's a veteran at this point, who's kind of bouncing around. He's currently with the Rockies. He had some very good years, partly with the Nationals and then a couple elsewhere. Desmond is not a big name, but when it comes to sitting out because of COVID, he's one of the first to say that he's going to. So, Still a big deal. The very first player to say that he wouldn't be playing is Mike Leak of the Arizona Diamondbacks. And so from there, he kind of got things started a few days back. And then there's just been a handful of names since that have thrown their names in and said, yeah, we're not going to be playing this year. For the most part, it's family concerns, just not wanting to put the family at risk. Um, you look at, I believe it's Joe Ross. His wife is pregnant right now with their child. So that's a big issue that Ross does not want to have to deal with potentially exposing his wife to anything, and then exposing their newborn child. That's just not a risk he wants to take. Ryan Zimmerman also cited family concerns. That's the main issue here for these guys. It's not so much a personal thing as it is a family thing. But no matter what it is, definitely have to respect the option of the players not to play because it is certainly a health risk, and I can understand players stepping back. It's mostly been older players right now. Like I said, Ian Desmond, Mike Leake, Ryan Zimmerman. David Price, all older guys. The only young guy is Joe Ross, and you look at him and his wife is pregnant, like I said. So you look at those other guys, they have older kids, they have you know older spouses, theoretically, so definitely at higher risk, and so it makes sense that they would be opting out. Expect more names to be added to this list in the next couple of days and weeks leading up to the start of the season. It's a decision that is going to be a tough one to make for a lot of players and a lot of premier players. We just saw a couple days ago that Mike Trout said that he still wasn't sure about playing this year. I do expect Trout to play. Baseball cannot go without Mike Trout for a full season. He should be suiting up. But it is important to notice that Trout was willing to come out and say, you know what, I'm not sure how I feel about this just yet. This is the best player in baseball without any debate. And he's coming out and you know willing to say that in the face of the MLB and say, you know, despite the fact that I want to play – there are still some issues, and I'm not going to fully 
devote myself just yet. Again, Mike Trout is going to play this year. I'm really sure of it. But the fact that he has come out and voiced that opinion, it's made it a lot easier for some other players to step away and opt out of this season, which is huge. And that's what you want to see if you're the MLB or an MLB fan from the best player in the game is being willing to take that opinion. Yes, I love the game of baseball, but I do understand that there are other things at play here. And again, this isn't just about Mike Trout. This is about these other lesser known players or less impactful players saying, all right, well, if Mike Trout can go out and say that, I don't have to be afraid of coming out and saying it and being ridiculed for it for the most part, which is definitely a big deal. I'm really glad that Trout was able to come out and say that. Although again, one last time, I really do think we are going to have Mike Trout this season. Don't want to raise a false alarm in that sense. Now, just talked about players opting out for a good five, six minutes, probably wondering, well, what does it matter? Well, of course it matters because teams are not going to be at full strength or at least not at their accurate strength when it comes to how they rank in the league. So you look at the base level of impact. Let's talk about the Nationals because they're the only team so far to have multiple players say that they're opting out of the 2020 season. Ryan Zimmerman and Joe Ross, again, have been the two so far. So you look at the Nationals. First of all, you're not at full strength because you don't have one of the big bats in your lineup in Ryan Zimmerman, and you don't have one of your significant pitchers in Joe Ross. That's base-level impact. It's going to hurt you as a team. But if you take them and compare them to any team so far that doesn't have a single player opting out, which I think by the time we get to the season, there won't be a team like that. But let's just talk about right now. You look at a team, let's look across to the division at the Philadelphia Phillies. As of now, no Philly has opted out of the season. As of right now, on July 4th at 6.30 p.m. If they would have some other guys opt out, this would be a different conversation. As I said, they probably will. But for right now, when you make that comparison, it's not only that the Nationals are at a lesser strength than they would be. It's also they're at an inaccurate level of strength. They theoretically should be a certain difference between them and the Phillies, and that is thrown off by the fact that Zimmerman and Ross are sitting out, and they're not hurt. That's the key. You think about it, oh, well, you know, teams are always going to have that issue where nobody's ever at full strength because there's always injuries. Yeah, sure, but that's the key. Zimmerman and Ross, these guys are not hurt. They are opting out of the season for a different reason, and that's something that you just can't anticipate. As a GM, as a manager, any level of baseball ownership and leadership, there is value to a guy that you can count on who is not injury prone. And there is lesser value for a guy who you know to be injury prone. You want guys who are going to be on the field. So now you take a case where Ryan Zimmerman is a good example. He's been hurt very little in his entire career and he's getting up there. And as far as years ago now, he's been a national his whole career. So a lot of value there that Washington sees in him. He was, he was a bit of a playoff hero last year for Washington when they won it all, of course. So you talk about somebody like that where this is a guy you can count on being in the field, so you pay him accordingly and you bring him back because of that. And now you have a case where, well, he's still not hurt, but he's choosing not to play. And it just throws so many things off, and it's just a whole confusing situation that is one of the reasons that this season is going to be so odd because you are going to be seeing teams play without significant players, without some of their major contributors. 
And it's going to take a toll. It's going to make some teams play a lot worse than they otherwise would have. And it's going to make worse teams look a lot better because they're going against these teams that are not at full strength. It's not good for the game of baseball. But again, I want to stress the fact that it is important to recognize that players should and do have a choice when it comes to this season. There's not an inherent problem with opting out. I, it's a little bit ridiculous to make that argument. Well, oh, you know, you have to sacrifice your family to play baseball. Well, no, you don't, because this is while it's a game and a fun job, it's still a job and you're on a contract. So this isn't a situation where these guys are required to play under these conditions. That's not the contract they signed. The contract they signed was not to go out and play in a global pandemic that could endanger both themselves and their families. That's not what happened. So yes, they're signed to a contract, but that contract does not apply to something like this. Players have every right to opt out of this season. Let's move on to one of the more interesting aspects of actually getting to play during the time of COVID, and that's testing. How are players going to be tested? How often is it going to happen? What is the protocol there? As of now, the information that we have, and again, this could change in days and weeks to come, players are going to be tested every other day. If a player's temperature exceeds 100.4 degrees, that player is immediately tested no matter the day. It doesn't matter the every other day thing. No matter the day, he's tested and he's sent home immediately. Players are also required to take their own temperature before coming to the ballpark. Their temperature is going to be taken at the ballpark, but they're required to take their own as well. And if they are running that fever and up near or over 100.4, they're told to stay home, not come to the ballpark at all for risk of infecting others. And again, they'll be tested right away. This, again, relates to the idea where players could be out and not because they're hurt because obviously if a player has the coronavirus and they can't show up to a game that's a huge that's a huge situation i talked about this a lot multiple episodes you think about a situation where it's the biggest series of the year and all of a sudden your best one or two players are out with the coronavirus and you're severely handicapped because of that and that could happen in any other season with an injury or something like that. But again, like I was talking about, part of the value in a player is whether or not they are likely to be injured and likely to miss games. So if you have a player who plays in a normal season, 150, 160 games a year, and you know that's what you're getting from him, he's always healthy. To lose him to a situation like this, it's just not representative of the value that that actual player has or or that your actual team has in a normal situation which again not good for the game of baseball not good for competition but it's just something we're gonna have to learn to work around because there's no way to just get around it and you know send guys out there no matter what if a player has a coronavirus they obviously cannot compete for the sake of endangering their teammates and their opponents and the umpires anyone else there it just it's not gonna fly so that's the plan testing every other day And then if the temperature exceeds 100.4 degrees, no matter the day, players will be tested and sent home right away. There's already been some major players that have come down with the coronavirus. Just today, we found out that Salvador Perez, a catcher for the Kansas City Royals, has the virus. Um, He says he's doing all right. He's in high spirits. But recognizing the dangers um, that are involved with that and taking his time away as he needs to. And there's been some other major players that have come down with the virus already. 
You can take it in one way and say, well, you know, it's good to have it now and not during the season, which is certainly true. But obviously, you don't want to see players come down with it at all. But it is important to recognize, well, players are going to come down with it. Freddie Freeman of the Atlanta Braves, he's another major guy who has it. Just came out yesterday in a report that 38 total MLBers between players and staff had tested positive for the virus. I believe it was 31 players to seven staffers. And so that's a big number. Obviously, there's a lot more players than that around, but that is still a big number. And now that workouts are starting to be held together, that number probably will go up. But this is something that the MLB understands and the players understand. It's not like there's a way to take enough precautions and be cautionary enough in returning to baseball to just knock that case count to zero. It's just not possible. You have guys playing together in close quarters in the dugouts and in the clubhouses and doing their own workouts. Obviously, on the field, you're outside. You're generally spread out in baseball, as you know. So that's not as big an issue, but it's also baseball. It's a sport. Players are breathing hard. They're not supposed to be spitting as far as sunflower seeds and things like that go, but it's still going to happen. Obviously, touching a ball that goes back and forth between players. The point is there's a million ways to transmit the virus. So there's not a way that that case count is just going to hit zero. There are going to be players always at every point in the season that have the virus, and it's likely going to be higher than 30 at a time as it is right now as we start to get going and there's more travel, things like that. It's just something we're going to get used to. And honestly, the MLB, it's probably going to be the league that gets us used to it first, but it's something we're probably going to see in the NBA and the NHL and then in the NFL when the NFL comes around too. So that's that's just the situation that we're in. Yes, like I talked about, it stinks. It, it really does. It is going to make the game a lot different than it would usually be or than we'd like it to be, but it's just the way things are right now. And it, it's also, it's going to be interesting. It's going to be an interesting thing to follow as far as the whole idea of, you know, Yankees Astro series, Jose Altuve and Aaron Judge are out. I mean, look at a situation like that. What a strange strange situation to be in but it's one we're gonna experience with a lot of teams but like i said it's going to be interesting definitely during the season that's gonna be a common topic to talk about i'm looking forward to that as far as doing kind of you know weekly updates around the mlb when we finally actually have game action again talking about that what major guys are out what teams are being impacted the most what series are ones to look out for because a major player isn't there that's going to be just an added aspect when it comes to strategy and scouting teams and all that. And that's not necessarily a bad thing. Is it a different thing? Sure. But it's not necessarily bad. Like I said, it could be very, very interesting. I'm looking forward to having that added kind of aspect of the game that we're not used to. Again, it's not ideal. It's not something that I would have hoped to happen. But this is something we just have to deal with and kind of take the best part of it that we can and look at it in the best way that we can. So that's going to be all that the MLB, the fans, and the players can do in this scenario. One of the more important parts of the game itself is how the schedule is going to fall out. As I said, it's a 60-game schedule. We know that. We've really known that for a while. That's been the plan for a long time now, as I mentioned earlier. The way that the schedule is going to work is every team is going to play 40 games within their division. So two-thirds of the games are being played in the division. Not unusual. Every year, you know, that's a major part of your schedule is playing against your division in any sport, really. 
especially baseball and football. Your divisions are obviously smaller there than they are in hockey and basketball. So as you know, it's always a lot of games in the division that's not changing here. That's partly because of the importance of playing in your division, um, which, you know, that's just a a well-known aspect of, like I said, the NFL and the MLB. You play your division a lot uh, because those are the teams that you're battling against for the division crown. It's also a factor of regional proximity because obviously the goal here is to have minimal travel because all of a sudden, once you throw travel in there, the issues just mount so quickly. And by playing mostly within the division, that eliminates a lot of that travel because obviously divisions are based on regional location. You have some oddballs in there where you have a team that doesn't really fit in their region. And that's going to be more frustrating than usual right now. Uh, You look at a division like the AL West, that the Texas Rangers and Houston Astros there in Texas, but then you have the West Coast teams in Seattle and the Angels and the Oakland A's out on the West Coast. Obviously, California and Washington are not actually close to Texas. That's a more frustrating situation. But then you have other divisions where it works a little bit better, like the East. That really is just the East Coast. Still, a lot of distance between New York and Tampa Bay, but it's still better than having New York going to play a West Coast series or a West Coast team coming to play on the East Coast. That's what the MLB is trying to avoid here, and it's what they're going to be able to avoid by limiting it to mostly games within the division. That same idea applies for the other 20 games because the other 20 games of the season are against the regional division in the alternate league. So the AL East will play 20 games against the NL East. The NL Central will play 20 against the the AL Central. Excuse me. So that is, again, the idea that teams still won't have to travel as far, but not all 60 are going to be played in one division. This kind of relates to the idea that was put in place a little ways back where there were going to be potential divisional realignments to make the divisions a little bigger and potentially limit the number of divisions. There were talks about just having one East, one Central, one West. This kind of accomplishes the same thing. And then there were talks of just, you know, making the divisions a little bit bigger and combining them in a more um, usual way as far as keeping teams close to each other. And this is what that does, essentially. It's just limiting that travel, which is so important, and keeping teams in their area rather than traveling all over the country because that is just something that the MLB and the players cannot afford to do given the current situation and the fact that that would just increase opportunities for the virus to spread exponentially. So that's basically the guidelines that the MLB is working with, what we're going to be looking at as far as the schedule goes, like I said, the whole idea of players opting out, and just the basically rules and regulations that the MLB is going to be going with. But that's mostly regulation side. Let's go to the rules side a little bit more and talk about the new rules that the MLB is implementing for the 2020 season. There are two main new rules here. The first is one that you should be plenty familiar with because it's been talked about for a long time, far predating when COVID came around. The MLB is going to be implementing the universal DH, meaning that the designated hitter is going to be played in both American League and National League games. It doesn't matter. There's a DH in every game now. The point here, really, for the MLB, this is not something that needed to be done. 
as as far as the season goes. Obviously, it's a bit of a head scratcher. Well, how exactly does that help combat COVID? It doesn't really. The only real impact here is that it allows pitchers to just focus on pitching in this shortened spring training and not have to worry about hitting in the National League. But otherwise, I mean, this is not an important change COVID-wise. But the MLB has been pushing this for a long time, moving to that universal DH. The players are in favor of it. It's really the fans that are the biggest pushback. And so this was the perfect opportunity. Just kind of added on here as this part of this COVID-19 change and throw it in there, the universal DH, and it could take hold. And we could have a universal DH for a very long time, potentially for baseball the rest of the time that we know baseball as it is right now it it could last that long because the universal dh is something that has been a plan for a long time there's a lot of reasons the main reason of course is that it is an offensive game today that's what fans want they want home runs they want hard hit balls they don't want to see a pitcher go up there and look at three strikes and strike out because the fact is pitchers can't hit the ball and a lot of pitchers don't want to hit the ball. A lot of pitchers hate having to hit. And it's always an issue, especially for an AL pitcher who goes to the NL and all of a sudden has to hit that hasn't hit for his whole career. Some pitchers enjoy it. You have pitchers who actually can hit, Madison Bumgarner being a prime example. And it can be very exciting when you have a pitcher who does get on base and it kind of changes the strategy of the game. It's also an added strategy for NL managers that a lot of managers actually enjoy is the idea of working around that pitcher in the nine spot and when do you pull him and all that. But it's just something that the MLB, like I said, it's been coming to this conclusion for a while that the universal DH was got to be put in place. Like I said, it's a big thing as far as the fans go, just helping add more offense to the game because that's what people want to see. That's what baseball fans are hooked on and just pitchers in the batting order. I mean, they've been out of place for a long time because like I said, they just don't get on base they don't hit, and it's it's not really good for the game. I'm more of a traditionalist perspective myself. Game The game is one of tradition, baseball in particular, that is. It really is. It's about tradition. It's about how the game has been for a long time. You look at other leagues, there's a lot of rule changes regularly, especially you look at the NFL, that's the case. But the MLB has been around for so long, and it's such a game of tradition that you don't see major changes like this often. There hasn't been a DH in the NL ever. So this is a major change. I'm not a huge fan of it. I understand the point behind it, but I'm already not a huge fan of the fact that the MLB is moving towards offense in such a big way. There still should be some value uh, to the pitchers and to the defense, and there still is, but totally moving in this direction and moving the focus fully to the offense, I'm not a huge fan of. It shouldn't be all about home runs. But it is. That's just the fact of the matter here is that it is that the long ball is is more apparent than it ever has been. There are more home runs hit every year, a new record set every year at this point, and the ball just flies out of the ballpark. And that's what baseball fans like. So this is like I said, it's very possible that this will be a permanent change as we move forward. We could have the universal DH for good for the rest of the MLB's history and, and the MLB's future. This could be the turning point here in 2020. And like I said, the players probably not going to mind it. And um, neither is the MLB. This is something that they were pretty much in agreement on. And now the perfect time to pass it. So they pass it. The other major rule is in extra innings. And that is 
the fact that the MLB is now going to be starting every inning of the extra innings by placing a runner on second base to start things off. This is a rule that I believe was originated in college ball and is now used a lot in youth baseball, especially in tournament play, just to hurry games up and to not have games go too deep into extra innings to get games done quickly because by putting a runner on second base right away it's really easy for that guy well not really easy but a lot easier to score a run by having that guy there right away with nobody out than to have to get that runner there first to score it's going to eliminate these 14 15 16 inning games in a big big way because when you have that runner on second all of a sudden if you get him to third with a ground ball or a bunt or, or a fly ball something like that or a base hit then he's 90 feet away, and it doesn't take much to score him. And it's not like he's starting on first, so a double play, a ground ball double play is not going to get him. So it's definitely an opportunity for teams to get some added strategy. And the, the real idea here, like I said, they're trying to eliminate some of those really deep extra inning games by doing this. And it, it should help to eliminate that because, like I said, it's going to be hard to not allow that man on second to score. It's still doable, certainly. I mean, it's not like every time a team hits a leadoff double to start off an inning that the guy scores. Of course not. You still have to bring him around. There's a reason it's only a double and not a home run. You can have a leadoff triple and the guy doesn't score. He's not necessarily going to come around, but it's definitely going to make it easier, like I said, for runs to score. It's a lot of added strategy for a number of reasons. First of all, it's going to add value to having a bench player that is there because he has speed. That's largely a part of the game that has gone by the wayside. There's not a lot of stolen bases anymore. And so in turn, managers don't really keep a guy with a ton of speed on the bench just to put him in to pinch run or something like that. It's not that those pinch runners don't ever come on. It's just that that's not usually part of the game plan. Now it might be. There's definitely some value now to keeping a bench player around for that moment to use him as a pinch runner to put him on second base. Now, you might be wondering, well, who would go on second base if there wasn't a pinch runner? Well, the way that the rule originated and the way that it's still going to be used here is that it's the last batted out who goes out to second. So if the number three hitter strikes out to end the bottom of the ninth, then in the bottom of the 10th, when they come up, that'll be the man who goes to second while the four hitter comes up to the plate. But like I said, you can use a pinch runner. There's the same risk as using a pinch runner at any other time, because if you don't score and the game doesn't end, then the player that you pinch ran for is out of the game. So there's still that strategy. And that's going to be a bit of a new strategy for managers, because like I said, pinch running is not a common thing anymore because there's not a lot of stolen bases or anything like that. But now there is certainly value to having a bench player with speed because for one, you could try to steal him to third to put him 90 feet away. But for two, a well-placed single, and all of a sudden that guy can come around and score just like that on a single because he's already at second, and if he has speed, he can score from there on a single, and that's key. That is incredibly key. So you have that situation for one. There's also the fact that this is going to put the sacrifice bunt back into play. And the bunt, I mean, basically any baseball fan you ask, they'll tell you the same thing. The bunt is dead. There just is not bunting in the MLB anymore. The only players who would bunt are the pitchers. But the pitchers aren't hitting anymore because there's a universal DH. 
So theoretically, the bunt would be totally dead. But now it shouldn't be because all of a sudden, as I said right off the bat, with that runner starting on second, one way to move him to third is to sack him over. So you have the first man start out at second, nobody out. If your first batter lays down a sack bunt, now there's one out, but now the runner's at third if you move him over successfully. And that's incredibly valuable. One out, man on third, a lot of offenses are going to be able to bring that run around. So all of a sudden, it's not just the bench player with speed that's a factor. It's also the sack bunt that's an option for managers to go to. It's just going to be some added strategy that we have not seen before. This is not something the MLB has ever done before in extra innings. It's going to be really interesting, and there's going to be the idea of whether you go with the sack bunt route or something like that of trying to move the man to third but taking it out as you do it and just making sure that that one run scores, or you don't use a sack bunt. You try not to let your first batter be out and see if you can score more than one run by not taking that early out. It's a question managers are going to ponder a lot. It's a question that if they go the wrong way on, it'll cost games or it'll win games. You never know. It's it's tough to say in a situation like that. Do you go after the one sure run that you think at least is a sure run? Or do you try to have a big inning? Do you sacrifice one of your biggest bats to lay down that sack bunt? Or do you let him swing away and maybe he hits a double, run scores anyways, and all of a sudden you're on your way to a big inning? It's going to be really interesting to see how much easier it is for teams to score that way and what strategy managers go with. But one thing is for sure, it is definitely going to shorten games that go to extra innings because it's going to be hard for teams to elongate a game where just nobody can score an extra innings. Now, it could backfire in the sense that if it's too easy to score that run from second base, now all of a sudden you have a situation where both teams just trade one spots back and forth. Whereas before, you'd have a game that would go to the 14th or 15th because nobody could score. Now, if that runner from second is scoring every inning, but for both teams, the same thing could happen just because they're trading ones back and forth, but they can't tack anything else on. So we'll see. That, that'll that probably happen sometime still. We'll still have some really deep games, especially in games between two teams with great pitching or poor hitting or both. So it's not a huge, huge change as far as how the game is going to turn out, but as far as how the game is going to be played, it's definitely a major change, and it's one that's going to be really interesting. Should add some more excitement and intrigue to extra inning games. I'm excited to see it play out. We'll see exactly what happens, and we'll see how managers handle that. So that's pretty much going to do it for today. I uh, kind of just wanted to go through where we're at as of right now with the MLB. By this time next week, I'm sure there'll be a ton more information as far as injury reports and COVID reports go, and potentially some more changes that the MLB may be trying to put in place, some updates about scheduling and all that sort of stuff. It should be coming up, things moving very fast right now, but also changing very fast right now. So a lot to go through and information coming out regularly, but this should have you up to date at least as of today, July 4th on what the current situation is in the MLB. If you did enjoy this episode, go back and listen to the last few episodes. Um, Two of the last three have focused a lot on the MLB, including one exclusively about the MLB. Uh, So those are definitely some interesting ones for you to go back and listen to if you're a fan of this one. And just in general, there are episodes every week, so just keep an eye out. And same time next week, I will have a fresh episode for you coming out every weekend. So tune in then. For now, this has been The Recap with Porter Holt.